Section three of the Shaving of Shagpat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Shaving of Shagpat by George Meredith. Chapter two, part one. And this is the story of Banavar the Beautiful. Know that at the foot of a lofty mountain of the Caucasus there lieth a deep blue lake. Near to this lake a nest of serpents, wise and ancient. Now it was the habit of a damsel to pass by the lake early at morn, on her way from the tents of her tribe to the pastures of the flocks. As she pressed the white arch of her feet on the soft green-mossed grasses by the shore of the lake, she would let loose her hair, looking over into the water, and bind the braid again round her temples and behind her ears, as it had been in a lucent mirror. So doing she would laugh. Her laughter was like the falls of water at moonrise, her loveliness like the very moonrise, and she was stately as a palm-tree standing before the moon. This was Bonivar the Beautiful. Now the damsel was betrothed to the son of a neighboring emir, a youth comely, well-fashioned, skilled with the bow, apt in all exercises, one that sat his mare firm as the trained falcon that fixeth on the plunging bull of the plains, fair and terrible in combat as the lightning that strideth the rolling storm, and it is sung by the poet. When on his desert mare I see, my prince of men, I think of then, as high above humanity, as he shines radiant over me. Lo, like a torrent he doth bound, breasting the shock, from rock to rock, a pillar of storm he shakes the ground, his turban on his temples wound. Match for me worth to be adored, a youth like him in heart and limb, swift as his anger is his sword, softer than woman his true word. Now the love of this youth for the damsel Banavar was a consuming passion, and the father of the damsel and the father of the youth looked fairly on the prospect of their union, which was near, and was plighted as the union of the two tribes. So they met, and there was no voice against their meeting, and all the love that was in them they were free to pour forth far from the hearing of men, even where they would. Before the rising of the sun, and ere his setting, the youth rode swiftly from the green tents of the emir, his father, to waylay her by the waters of the lake, and Bonivar was there, bending over the lake, her image in the lake glowing like the fair fullness of the moon, and the youth leaned to her from his steed, and sang to her verses of her great loveliness, ere she was wistful of him. Then she turned to him, and laughed lightly, a welcome of sweetness, and shook the falls of her hair across the blushes of her face and her bosom, and he folded her to him, and those two would fondle together in the fashion of the betrothed ones, the blessing of Allah be on them all, gazing on each other till their eyes swam with tears, and they were nigh swooning with the fullness of their bliss. Surely t'was an innocent and tender dalliance, and their prattle was that of lovers till the time of parting. He showed her how she looked best, she him, and they were forgetful of all else that is, in their sweet interchange of flatteries, and the world was a wilderness to them both, when the youth parted with Bonivar by the brook which bounded the tents of her tribe. It was on a night when they were so together, the damsel leaning on his arm, her eyes toward the lake, and lo, what seemed the reflection of a large star in the water, and there was darkness in the sky above it, thick clouds in no sight of the heavens. So she held her face to him sideways, and said, What meaneth this, O my betrothed? For there is reflected in yonder lake a light as of a star, and there is no star visible this night. The youth trembled as one in trouble of spirit, and exclaimed, Look not on it, O my soul, it is of evil omen. 
But Bonnevar kept her gaze constantly on the light, and the light increased in luster, and the light became, from a pale, sad splendor, dazzling in its brilliancy. Listening, they heard presently a gurgling noise as of one deeply drinking. Then the youth sighed a heavy sigh and said, This is the serpent of the lake drinking of its waters. As is her wont once every moon, and whoso heareth her drink by the sheening of that light is under a destiny dark and imminent. So know I my days are numbered, and it was foretold of me this. Now the youth sought to dissuade Bonnevar from gazing on the light, and he flung his whole body before her eyes, and clasped her head upon his breast, and clung about her, caressing her. Yet she slipped from him, and she cried, Tell me of this serpent and of the light. So he said, Seek not to hear of it, O my betrothed. Then she gazed at the light a moment more intently, and turned her fair shape toward him, and put up her long white fingers to his chin, and smoothed him with their softness, whispering, Tell me of it, my life. And so it was that her winningness melted him, and he said, Bonnevar, the serpent is the serpent of the lake, old, wise, powerful, of the brood of the sacred mountain, that lifteth by day a peak of gold, and by night a point of solitary silver. In her head, upon her forehead, between her eyes, there is a jewel, and it is the light. Then she said, How came the jewel there in such a place? He answered, Tis the growth of one thousand years in the head of the serpent. She cried, Surely precious. He answered, Beyond price. As he spake, the tears streamed from him, and he was shaken with grief. But she noted not of this, and watched the wonder of the light, and its increasing and quivering and lengthening, and the light was as an arrow of beams, and as a globe of radiance. Desire for the jewel waxed in her, and she had no sight but for it alone, crying, "'Tis a jewel exceeding in preciousness all jewels that are, and for the possessing it would I forfeit all that is. So he said sorrowfully, "'Our love, O Bonnevar, and our hopes of espousal?' But she cried, "'No question of that. Prove now thy passion for me, O warrior, and win for me that jewel.' Then he pleaded with her and exclaimed, Urge not this, the winning of the jewel is worth my life, and my life, O Bonnevar, surely its breath is but the love of thee. So she said, Thou fearest a risk? And he replied, Little fear I, my life is thine to cast away, this jewel it is evil to have, and evil followeth the soul that hath it. Upon that she cried, A trick to cheat me of the jewel, thy love is wanting at the proof. And she taunted the youth her betrothed, and turned from him, and hardened at his tenderness, and made her sweet shape as a thorn to his caressing, and his heart was charged with anguish for her. So at the last, when he had wept a space in silence, he cried, Thou hast willed it, the jewel shall be thine, O my soul. Then said he, Thou hast willed it, O Bonnevar, and my life is as a grain of sand weighed against thy wishes. Allah is my witness. Meet me therefore here, O my beloved, at the end of one quarter moon, even beneath the shadow of this palm-tree, by the lake, and at this hour, and I will deliver into thy hands the jewel. So farewell. Wind me once about thine arms, that I may take comfort from thee. When their kiss was over, the youth led her silently to the brook of their parting, the clear, cold, bubbling brook, and passed from her sight. And the damsel was exulting, and leapt, and made circles in her glee, and she danced, and rioted, and sang, and clapped her hands, crying, If I am now, Bonnevar the beautiful, how shall I be when the jewel is upon me, the bright light which beameth in the darkness, and needeth to light it no other light? Surely there will be envy among the maidens and the widows, and my name and the odor of my beauty will travel to the courts of far kings. 
So was she jubilant, and her sisters that met her marveled at her, and the deep glow that was upon her, even as the glow of the great desert when the sun has fallen. And they said among themselves, She is covered all over with the blush of one that is a bride, and the bridegroom's kiss yet burneth upon Bonivar. So they undressed her, and she lay among them, and was all night, even as a bursting rose in a vase filled with drooping lilies. And one of the maidens that put her hand on the left breast of Bonivar felt it full, and the heart beneath it panting and beating, swifter than the ground is struck by hoves of the chosen steed, sent by the chieftain to the city of his people, with news of victory, and the summons for rejoicing. Now the nights and the days of Bonivar were even as this night, and she was as an unquiet soul till the appointed time for the meeting with her lover had come. Then, when the sun was lighting with slant beam the green grass slope by the blue brook before her, Bonivar arrayed herself and went forth gaily, as a martial queen to a certain conquest, and of all the flowers that nodded to the setting, yea, the crimson, purple, pure white, streaked yellow, azure, and saffron, there was no flower fairer in its hues than Bonivar nor bird of the heavens freer in its glittering plumage, nor shape of loveliness such as hers. Truly, when she had taken her place under the palm by the waters of the lake, that was no exaggeration of the poet, where he says, Snows of the mountain peaks were mirrored there, beneath her feet, not whiter than they were, not rosier in the white, that falling flush, brought on the wave, than in her cheek the blush. And again, she draws the heavens down to her, so rare she is, so fair she is. They flutter with a crown to her, and lighten only where she is. And he exclaims in verse that applieth to her, Exquisite slenderness, sleek little antelope, serpent of sweetness, eagle that soaringly wins me adoringly, teach me thy fleetness, vision of loveliness, turn to my tenderness. Now when the sun was lost to earth and all was darkness, Bonivar fixed her eyes upon an opening arch of foliage in the glade through which the youth her lover should come to her, and clasped both hands across her bosom. So shaken was she with eager longing and expectation. In her hunger for his approach, she would at whiles pluck up the herbage about her by the roots, and toss handfuls this way and that, chiding the peaceful song of the night-bird in the leaves above her head. And she was sinking with fretfulness when, lo, from the opening arch of the glade a sudden light, and Bonivar knew it for the jewel, in the fingers of her betrothed, by the strength of its effulgence. Then she called to him joyfully a cry of welcome, and quickened his coming with her calls, and the youth alighted from his mare, and left it to pasture, and advanced to her, holding aloft the jewel. And the jewel was of a great size and purity, round and all luminous, throwing rays and beams everywhere about it, a miracle to behold. The light in it shining, and as the very life of blood, a sweet crimson, a ruby, a softer rose, an amethyst of tender hues, it was a full globe of splendors showing like a very kingdom of the blessed, and blessed was the eye beholding it. So when he was within reach of her arm, the damsel sprang to him, and caught from his hand the jewel, and held it before her eyes, and danced with it, and pressed it on her bosom, and was as a creature giddy with great joy in possessing it. And she put the jewel in her bosom, and looked on the youth to thank him for the jewel with all her beauty, for the passion of a mighty pride in him, who had won for her the jewel exalted Bonivar. And she said sweetly, now hast thou proved to me thy love of me, and I am thine, O my betrothed, wholly thine. Kiss me then, and cease not kissing me, for bliss is in me. But the youth eyed her sorrowfully, even as one that hath great yearning, and no power to move or speak. So she said again, in the low melody of her deep love-tones, Kiss me, O my lover, for I desire thy kiss. 
Still he spake not, and was as a pillar of stone. And she started and cried, Thou art whole without a hurt? Then sought she to coax him to her, with all the softness of her half-closed eyes and budded lips, saying, "'Twas an idle fear, and I have thee, and thou art mine, and I am thine. So speak to me, my lover, for there is no music like the music of thy voice, and the absence of it, the absence of all sweetness, and there is no pleasure in life without it. So the tenderness of her fondling melted the silence in him, and presently his tongue was loosed, and he breathed in pain of spirit, and his words were the words of the proverb. He that fighteth with poison is no match for the prick of a thorn. And he said, Surely, O Bonivar, my love for thee surpasseth what is told of others that have longed before us, and I count no loss, a loss that is for thy sake. And he sighed, and saying, Sadder than is the moon's lost light, lost ere the kindling of dawn, to travellers journeying on, the shutting of thy fair face from my sight. Might I look on thee in death, with bliss I would yield my breath. O oh, what warrior dies with heaven in his eyes! O oh, Bonivar, too rich a prize, the life of my nostrils art thou, the balm-dew on my brow. Thou art the perfume I meet as I speed o'er the plains, the strength of my arms, the blood of my veins. Then said he, I make nothing matter of complaint, Allah witnesseth, not even the long parting from her I love. What will be will be, so was it written. Tis but a scratch o' my soul, yet am I of the dead, and them that are passed away. "'Tis hard, but I smile in the face of bitterness. "'Now at his words the damsel clutched him with both her hands, "'and the blood went from her, "'and she was as a block of white marble, "'even as one of those we meet in the desert, "'leaning together, marking the wrath "'of the all-powerful on forgotten cities. "'And the tongue of the damsel was dry, "'and she was without speech, "'gazing at him with wide-open eyes "'like one in a trance. "'Then she started as a dreamer wakeneth, "'and flung herself quickly on the breast of the youth, and put up the sleeve from his arm, and beheld by the beams of the quarter crescent that had risen through the leaves, a small bite on the arm of the youth, her betrothed, spotted with seven spots of blood in a crescent. So she knew that the poison of the serpent had entered by that bite, and she loosened herself to the violence of her anguish, shrieking the shrieks of despair, so that the voice of her lamentation was multiplied about, and made many voices in the night. Her spirit returned, not to her, till the crescent of the moon was yellow to its fall, and, lo, the youth was sighing heavy sighs, and leaning to the ground on one elbow, and she flung herself by him on the ground, seeking for herbs that were antidotes to the poison of the serpent, groveling among the grasses and strewn leaves of the wood, peering at them tearfully by the pale beams, and startling the insects as she moved. When she had gathered some, she pressed them and bruised them, and laid them among his lips, that were white as the ball of an eye. And she made him drink drops of the juices of the herbs, wailing and swaying her body across him, as one that seeketh vainly to give brightness again to the flames of a dying fire. But now his time was drawing nigh, and he was weak, and took her hand in his, and gazed on her face, sighing, and said, There is nothing shall keep me by thee now, O my betrothed, my beautiful. Weep not, for it is the doing of fate, and not thy doing. So ere I go, and the grave-cloth separates thy heart from my heart, listen to me. Lo, that jewel, it is the giver of years and of powers, and of loveliness beyond mortal. Yet the wearing of it availeth not in the pursuit of happiness. Now art thou queen over the serpents of this lake. It was the queen serpent I slew, and her vengeance is on me here. Now art thou mighty, O Bonivar, and look to do well by thy tribe, and that from which I sprang, recompensing my father for his loss. 
pouring ointment on his affliction, for great is the grief of the old man, and he loveth me, and is childless. Then the youth fell back and was still, and Bonivar put her ear to his mouth and heard what seemed an inner voice murmuring in him, and it was of his infancy and his boyhood, and of his father the emir's first gift to him, his horse Zura, in old times. Presently the youth revived somewhat and looked upon her, but his sight was glazed with a film. And she sang her name to him ere he knew her, and the sad sweetness of her name filled his soul, and he replied to her with it weakly, like a far echo that groweth fainter, Bonivar, Bonivar, Bonivar. Then a change came over him, and the pain of the poison and the passion of the death-throw, and he was wistful of her no more. But she lay by him, embracing him, and in the last violence of his anguish he hugged her to his breast. Then it was over, and he sank. And the twain were as a great wave heaving upon the shore. Lo, part is wasted where it falleth. Pot draweth back into the waters. So it was. Now the chill of dawn breathed blue on the lake, and was astir among the dewy leaves of the wood, when Bonivar arose from the body of the youth, and as she rose she saw that his mare Zora, his father's first gift, was snuffing at the ear of her dead master, and pawing at him. At this sight the tears poured from her eyelids, and she sobbed out to the mare, O oh, Zura, never mare bore nobler burden on his back than thou and servant my betrothed. Zora, thou weepest, for death is first known to thee, in the dearest thing that was thine, as to me, in the dearest that was mine. And, O oh, Zora, steed of Zervan, my betrothed, there's no loveliness for us in life, for the loveliest is gone. And let us die, Zura, mare of Zervan, my betrothed, for what is dying to us? O oh, Zura, who cherish beyond all that which death has taken? So spake she to Zura the mare, kissing her and running her fingers through the long white mane of the mare. Then she stooped to the body of her betrothed, and toiled with it, to lift it across the crimson saddle-cloth that was on the back of Zura. And the mare knelt to her that she might lay on her back the body of Zervan. When that was done, Bonivar paced beside Zura the mare, weeping and caressing her, reminding her of the deeds of Zervan, and the battles she had borne him to, and his greatness and his gentleness. And the mare went without leading. It was broad light when they had passed the glade in the covert of the wood. Before them, between great mountains, glimmered a space of rolling grass fed to deep greenness by many brooks. The shadow of a mountain was over it, and one slant of the rising sun, down a glade of the mountain, touched the green tent of the emir, where it stood a little apart from the others of his tribe. Goats and asses of the tribe were pasturing in the quiet, but save them nothing moved among the tents, and it was deep peacefulness. Bonivar led Zora slowly before the tent of the emir, and disburdened Zora of the helpless weight, and spread the long, fair limbs of the youth lengthwise across the threshold of the emir's tent, sitting away from it with clasped hands, regarding it. Ere long the emir came forth, and his foot was on the body of his son, and he knew the death on the chin and the eyes of Zervan, his sole son. Now the emir was old, and with the shock of that sight the world darkened before him, and he gave forth a groan and stumbled over the sunken breast of Zervan, and stretched over him as one without life. When Bonivar saw that old man stretched over the body of his son, she sickened, and her ear was filled with the wailings of grief that would arise, and she stood up and stole away from the habitations of the tribe, stricken with her guilt, and wandered beyond the mountains, knowing not whither she went, looking on no living thing, for the sight of a thing that moved was hateful to her, and all sounds were sounds of lamentation for a great loss. Now she had wandered on alone two days and two nights, and nigh morn she was seized with a swoon of weariness, 
and fell forward with her face to the earth and lay there prostrate, even as one that is adoring the shrine, and it was on the sands of the desert she was lying. It chanced that the chieftain of a desert tribe passed at midday by the spot, and seeing the figure of a damsel unshaded by any shade of tree or herb or tent covering, and prostrate on the sands, he reined his steed and leaned forward to her and called to her. Then, as she answered nothing, he dismounted, and thrust his arm softly beneath her, and lifted her gently. And her swoon had the whiteness of death, so that he thought her dead verily, and the marvel of her great loveliness in death smote the heart on his ribs as with a blow, and the powers of life went from him a moment as he looked on her face in the long dark wet lashes that clung to her colourless face, as at night in groves where the betrothed ones wander, the slender leaves of the acacia spread darkly over the full moon. And he cried, "'Tis a loveliness that maketh the soul yearn to the cold bosom of death, so lovely, exceeding all that liveth is she. After he had contemplated her a long while, he snatched his sight from her, and swung her swiftly on the back of his mare, and leaned her on one arm, and sped westward over the sands of the desert, halting not till he was in the hum of many tents, and the sun of that day hung a red half-circle across the sand. He alighted before the tent of his mother, and sent women in to her. When his mother came forth to the greetings of her son, he said no word, but pointed to the damsel, where he had leaned her at the threshold of her tent. His mother kissed him on the forehead, and turned her shoulder to peer upon the damsel. But when she had close view of Bonivar, she spat, and scattered her hair, and stamped, and cried aloud, Away with her, this slut of darkness! There's poison on her very skirts, and evil in the look of her. Then said he, O Ruckruth, my mother, art thou lost to charity and the use of kindliness and the laws of hospitality, that thou talkest this of the damsel, a stranger? Take her now in, and if she be past help, as I fear, be it thy care to give her decent burial, and if she live, O my mother, tend her for the love of thy son, and for the love of him be gentle with her. While he spake, Ruckruth, his mother, knelt over the damsel, as a cat that sniffeth the suspected dish, and she flashed her eyes back on him, exclaiming scornfully, So art thou befooled, and the poison is already in thee, but I will not have her, O my son, and thou, Ruark, my son, neither shalt thou have her. What, will I not die to save thee from a harm? Surely thy frown is little to me, my son, if I save thee from a harm, and the damsel here is, I shudder to think what, but never lay shadow across my threshold dark as this. Now Ruark gazed upon his mother, and upon Bonivar, and the face of Bonivar was as a babe in sleep, and his soul melted to the parted sweetness of her soft little curved red lips, and her closed eyelids, and her innocent open hands, where she lay at the threshold of the tent, unconscious of hardness, and the sayings of the unjust. So he cried fiercely, No paltering, O Ruckruth, my mother, and if not to thy tent, then to mine. When she heard him say that in the voice of his anger, Ruckruth fixed her eyes on him sorrowfully, and sighed, and went up to him, and drew his head once against her heart, and retreated into the tent, bidding the women that were there bring in the body of the damsel. It was the morning of another day when Bonivar awoke, and she awoke in a dream of Zura, the mare of Zervan, her betrothed, that was dead, and the name of Zura was on her tongue as she started up. She was on a couch of silk and leopard skins, at her feet a fair young girl with a fan of pheasant feathers. She stared at the hangings of the tent, which were richer than those of her own tribe. The cloths, the cushions, and the embroideries, and the strangeness of all was pain to her. She knew not why. Then wept she bitterly, and with her tears the memory of what had been came back to her, 
and she opened her arms to take into them the little girl that fanned her, that she might love something and be beloved a while, and the child sobbed with her. After a time Bonnevar said, Where am I, and amongst whom, my child, my sister? And the child answered her, Surely in the tent of the mother of Ruach the chief, even chief of the Bene Aser, and he found thee in the desert night dead. Tis so, and this morning will Ruach be gone to meet the challenge of Eben Asrach, and they will fight at the foot of the snow mountains, and the shadow of yonder date-palm will be over our tent here at the hour they fight, and I shall sing for Ruark, and kneel here in the darkness of the shadow. While the child was speaking, there entered to them a tall, aged woman, with one swath of a turban across her long, level brows, and she had hard black eyes and close lips and a square chin, and it was the mother of Ruark. She strode forward toward Bonnevar to greet her, and folded her legs before the damsel, Presently she said, "'Tell me thy story, and of thy coming into the hands of Ruark, my son.' Bonnevar shuddered, so Ruckruth dismissed the little maiden from the chamber of the tent, and laid her left hand on one arm of Bonnevar, and said, "'I would know whence comest thou, that we may deal by thee, and thy people that have lost thee.' The touch of a hand was as the touch of a corpse to Bonnevar, and the damsel was constrained to speak by a power she knew not of, and she told all to Ruckruth of what had been the great misery and the wickedness that was hers. Then Ruark's mother took hold of Bonnevar's strong grasp, and eyed her long, piteously and with reproach, and rocked forward and back, and kept rocking to and fro, crying at intervals, O Ruark, my son, my son, this feared I, and thou art not the first, and I saw it, I saw it, well away, why came she in thy way? Why, Ruark, my son, my fire-eye? Canst thou be saved by me, faded that thou art, thou fair face? Or wilt thou be saved by me, my son, ere thy story be told in tears as this one, that is as thine to me? And thou wilt seize a jewel, Ruark, O thou soul of wrath, my son, my dazzling chief, and seize it to wear it, and think it bliss, this lovely jewel, but tis an anguish endless and forever, my son, woe's me, and anguish is she without end." Ruckruth continued moaning, and the thought that was in the mother of Ruark struck Bonnevar like a light in the land of despair that darkly illumineth the dreaded gulfs and abysses of the land, and she knew herself black and evil, and the scourge of her guilt was upon her, and she cursed herself before Ruckruth, and fawned before her, abasing her body. So Ruckruth was drawn to the damsel by the violence of her self-accusing and her abandonment to grief, and lifted her and comforted her, and after a while they had gentle speech together and the two women opened their hearts and wept. Then it was agreed between them that Bonnevar should depart from the encampment of the tribe before the return of Ruark, and seek shelter among her own people again, and aid them and the tribe of Zervan, her betrothed, by the might of the jewel which was hers, fulfilling the desire of Zervan. The mind of the damsel was lowly, and her soul yearned for the blessing of Ruckruth. Darkness hung over the tent from the shadow of the date-palm when Bonnevar departed, and the blessing of Ruckruth was on her head. She went forth fairly mounted on a fresh steed, beside her two warriors of them that were left to guard the encampment of the tribe of Ruark in his absence, and Ruckruth watched at the threshold of her tent for the coming of Ruark. When it was middle night, and the splendor of the moon was beaming on the edge of the desert, Bonnevar lighted to rest by the twigs of a tamarisk that stood singly on the sands. The two warriors tied the fetlocks of their steeds and spread shawls for her, and watched over her while she slept. And the damsel dreamed, and the roaring of the lion was hoarse in her dream, and it was to her, as were she the red whirlwind of the desert before whom all bowed in terror, the Arab, the wild horseman, and the caravans of pilgrimage. 
and none could stay her, neither could she stay herself, for the curse of Allah was on men by reason of her guilt, and she went swinging great folds of darkness across kingdoms and empires of earth, where joy was and peace of spirit, and in her track amazement and calamity, and the whitened bones of noble youths, valorous chieftains. In that horror of a dream she stood up suddenly, and thrust forth her hands as to avert any evil, and advanced a step, and with the act her dream was cloven, and she awoke, and lo, it was sunrise, and where had been two warriors of the Beni Asser were now five, and beside her own steed five others, one the steed of Ruark, and Ruark with them that watched over her. Pale was the visage of the chief. Ruark eyed Banavar and signaled to his followers, and they— when they had lifted the damsel to her steed, and placed her in their front, mounted likewise, and flourished their lances with cries, and jerked their heels to the flanks of their steeds, and stretched forward till their beards were mixed with the tossing manes, and the dust arose after them crimson in the sun. So they coursed away, speeding behind their chief and Bonivar. Sweet were the desert herbs under their crushing hooves. Ere the shadow of the acacia, measured less than its height, they came upon a spring of silver water, and Ruark leaped from his steed, and Bonivar from hers, and they performed their ablutions by that spring, and ate and drank and watered their steeds. While they were there, Bonivar lifted her eyes to Ruark and said, Whither takest thou me, O my chief? His brow was stern, and he answered, Surely to the dwelling of thy tribe. Then she wept and pulled her veil close, murmuring, Tis well. They spake no further, and pursued their journey toward the mountains and across the desert that was as a sea asleep in the blazing heat and the sun, till his setting, threw no shade upon the sands, bigger than what was broad above them. By the beams of the growing moon they entered the first gorge of the mountains. Here they relaxed, the swiftness of their pace, picking their way over broken rocks and stunted shrubs, and the mesh of spotted creeping plants. All around them in shadow a freshness of noisy rivulets and cool scents of flowers, asphodel and rose blooming in plots from the crevices of the crags, these, as the troop advanced, wound and widened, gradually receding, and their summits, which were silver in the moonlight, took in the distance a robe of purple, and the sides of the mountains were rounded away in purple beyond a space of emerald pasture. Now Ruark beheld the heaviness of Bonivar, and that she drooped in her seat, and he halted her by a cave at the foot of the mountains, browed with white broom. Before it, over grass and cresses, ran a rill, a branch from others, larger ones, that went hurrying from the heights to feed the meadows below, and Bonivar dipped her hand in the rill and thought, I am no more as thou, rill of the mountain, but a desert thing. Thy way is forward, thy end before thee, but I go this way and that, my end is dark to me, not a life is mine that will have its close kissing the cold cheeks of the saffron crocus. Cold art thou, and I, flames. They that lean to thee are refreshened, they that touch me perish. Then she looked forth on the stars that were above the purple heights, and the blushes of inner heaven that streamed up the sky, and a fear of meeting the eyes of her kindred possessed her, and she cried out to Ruark, O chief of the Beni Asser, must this be, and is there no help for it, but that I return among them that look on me basely? End of Part 1 of Chapter 2